Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. He is risen indeed. This is the hope and the reason that we gather together this morning. Um, Our values as a church are the gospel community and mission. And that very first value, the gospel, is why we are here today, is why we are gathered. We are gathered because Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And so the hope that we have is because of what Christ has done for us in the resurrection. Community, God has called together a new people, a new family because of that hope that we have in Jesus and mission that this good news is just way too good to keep to ourselves. And we're gonna unpack some of that today, what it means to share this good news from here until the ends of the earth. Again, kiddos, as you look in those bags, you'll find some some laminated sheets that you can draw on, you can follow along in the sermon on. I'd love to see your observations and what you came up with uh, coming from uh, the sermon today. A couple of announcements before we jump into the text. Um, We are going to be having a couple of retreats, men's retreats, women's retreats in May. The women's retreat is going to be virtual over Zoom on uh, Saturday, May 15th. The men's retreat is going to be Friday night and Saturday morning, uh, May 28th and 29th. If you're new, this is a great way to get connected. This is a really good way for you to build some relationships and meet some other people uh, to be a part of that. Now, as we dive in today, everybody loves good news. I've never met a single person who just likes bad news. All of us like good news. We love when other people tell us good news. When someone says something good to us, it makes our hearts glad. It makes our hearts jump in our chest. And so when someone comes up to you and says, they say, hey, I have good news. We get really excited. Like, what could it possibly be? Is somebody gonna go back to school? Do they have a new job? Um, are they engaged? Uh, did they have, are they gonna have a baby? Did they meet some sort of new goal? There's all sorts of good news that people get excited about. And when someone tells you good news, what's the worst thing that they can tell you? Don't tell anybody about it yet. Well, dang, like I, I wanna tell people, this is really good. I wanna tell people this good news. Several years ago, even before we moved here, I, I was starting to get into New England sports. You know, we're a brand new church. This is what makes us so exciting is we get to celebrate Easter together for the very first time. Uh, so excited about this. But even before we moved here, I was like trying to, I was getting into all New England sports. So I just, you know, completely renounced every sports allegiance that I had. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a Patriots fan. As hard as that is, you know, because we win all the time, I'm going to be a Patriots fan. And so I'm watching that Super Bowl where they're down 28 to three against the Falcons. And I remember I just decided to go home. Like we were at a friend's house, like I'm going to go home. It'll be fine. Well, by the time we get home, the game's tied. And then we go into overtime and we win the game. And the next day I told every single person I could say, I was like, can you believe what Tom Brady just did? Can you believe what the Patriots just did yesterday? Because that was really, really good news. And I had to tell somebody about it. The gospel, the word literally means good news. And it doesn't just mean the type of news that makes you feel good. It's not just a feel good story you see on Buzzfeed. The word literally means life altering news, history changing news. The type of news that after you hear it, everything else is different. Your life can never be the same. And that's why in verse three, Paul says that this gospel, this good news, he delivered as of first importance, something that he had received that had radically changed his own life. What if I were to tell you that I had a solution for every problem that we have? 
If, what if somebody came up to you and said, you know what, I have a solution for not only, not only a vaccine for the coronavirus, I have a cure for the coronavirus. We'd be really excited to hear about it, right? The gospel is the good news that there is a cure for every human ill. It's not gonna, it's not gonna cure coronavirus, but every evil in the world, every injustice, every broken system, even every personal shortcoming, there is good news for us. And if I told you that we could have something that good, good news that good, wouldn't you wanna know about it? Wouldn't you want other people to know about it? If this is the solution, we gotta know. We gotta find a reason to, to, to live our lives for this. And so the first thing we're gonna unpack today, and you'll see this in that worship guide is, what is the gospel? What is this good news that we cling to? What is the good news that will get us out here at 43 degrees on a Sunday morning? It's simply this, that Jesus Christ in verses three, four, and five, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead. That Jesus Christ is alive. And that gives us hope that the cross is the very core and the very center of what we believe in, that everything that matters in this world flows from this truth. So let's unpack this. Let's start unpacking verse three. What is the gospel? First, the gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is first and foremost about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so why is that good news? It seems like if it was good news, it would first be about us, but the gospel is first and foremost about Jesus. Look at the text here. What does it say that you and I need to do to get this good news? Do we have to jump through a bunch of hoops? Do we have to live out a certain set of rules? Do we have to be good enough? No, it simply says you receive this good news. Paul said that this is the gospel he preached and that they received. This is the message that someone told us and that we receive by faith. All we do is we receive the good news of Jesus. Jesus does all the work on our behalf. It's about what Jesus has done for you and me that all that was necessary to make us right with God, Jesus did through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is what makes Christianity different than any other worldview or any other religion. Because when you boil all of those down, they basically come down to this. I need to do something in order to get to God. I need to do something in order to live a good life. I need to do something in order to flourish and there's a religious version of this. You know, if you prescribe to a certain way of life or to um, a certain set of rules, then you can earn your way to God. So if it's, if it's Islam, it's like, if I, if I follow the five pillars, if I do enough good, if it's Buddhism and the eight, the eight uh, fold path. And there's also a non-religious version of this. You know, I have my own code of spirituality, my own code and idea of goodness. My own idea, maybe it's just being kind. Maybe it's being inclusive. Maybe it's being thoughtful enough. Maybe it's caring for others or stacking up enough good works to make ourselves feel better. But all of those have the exact same root. I do, and therefore God blesses me. I do, and then the universe will work things out in my favor. But only Christianity says that God came down to us, that God took on flesh, that he became human, and this kind of bothers us a little bit because we don't like the idea that Jesus did all the work. We want to contribute something. We feel kind of bad. We're like, it's like somebody pays for your dinner. It's like, well, I have like a dollar fifty. I know this costs 50 bucks, but can I just contribute this little bit? That's kind of how what we do when we come to God wanting to do something. 
We wanna feel like we earned our own salvation. And that's not a high bar, that's a really low bar. We lower the idea of what it means to follow God to something low and attainable. But the problem with that is even if the standard's our own standard, we can't meet it. If our standard is just simply to be a nice person, are we always nice? If our standard is simply to do enough good works, do we always do a good, enough good works? How do we know? But if it's all about Jesus and Jesus is the standard, then Jesus is the truly righteous one. He's the truly good one that he is the only one who deserves to get to God. And guess what he did through the cross? He came and made it possible for us to get there too. Because our hope is in not in anything that we have done, but in all that Christ has done. See, Jesus came and he lived the life that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I deserve. And he rose again that so that anyone who is humble enough to trust what he did for them can have new life in him, can have a renewed relationship with God. And through all of this, Jesus is the one who gets glory. Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So the gospel is first and foremost about Jesus, but secondly, the gospel addresses your sin. Why did Jesus have to come and die? Why couldn't Jesus come and just be a good example and show us the best way to live? It's because of sin. Sin separates us from a holy God. And so what is sin? Sin is any action, attitude, or thought that is contrary to God, his character, or his will. And in fact, Tim Keller says that sin is actually substituting yourself for God, putting yourself where only God deserves to be in charge of your life. Now you might be saying, okay, sin, that seems so old fashioned. That seems silly. Who actually believes in sin? But let me ask you this question. Is the world the way it's supposed to be right now? Is the world the way that it's supposed to be? When we look at 2020, blew up any illusion that we are living in a good world, right? We live in a really, really broken world. So many broken systems, so much injustice, so much racism, systems that uh, contribute to poverty, so much hatred, the brokenness of sickness and death. But even beyond that, let's ask, let me ask you this question. What about your own heart? Is your own heart the way it's supposed to be? Our hearts are consumed with, with selfishness and sin. And so every ill, every broken place, every broken relationship, every personal failure comes back to this root problem of sin. And this is why religion doesn't work because you can't follow rules enough to fix your heart. Sin is so deep and so abrasive that it wrecks everything that it touches. It's like a three-year-old. It's so pervasive no one is able to live rightly enough. In fact, Paul said in his letter to the Romans, for, the, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all deeply affected by it. And so sin is described as this debt that you're never able to pay back. If, you, if you're familiar with payday loans, it's, it's exactly like a payday loan. The payday loan industry borrows, you are allowed to borrow money against your own money. So you borrow money against your own income 
And the average APR on a payday loan is 400%. And what happens for most people is they're never able to actually fix their debt. They just roll that debt over to the next paycheck and to the next paycheck and to the next paycheck and they never pay it back. Sin is like a loan you will never pay back. That you will be stuck in this debt and it owns you. And it's the kind of debt that there's not enough overtime hours to outwork it. You can't be good enough in order to pay off this debt. This is why Jesus could not just come and be a good teacher. He couldn't just come and give you a better way to live. Jesus had to come and die on the cross as a payment for your sin, to pay your debt, to pay it once and for all with his life. The third thing the gospel about is the gospel is for you. It is good news because Jesus Christ died for you. He didn't die for an abstract group of people. He died for you by name on the cross as your substitute in your place. The only guilty person dying for innocent, I mean, the only innocent person dying for guilty people. And that's not fair, right? That an innocent person would suffer for a guilty person. So imagine that I go bust it, bang a U-turn on High Park Ave, which is not out of, the, out of the question. That happens all the time, right in front of Forest Hill Station. So imagine I go bust a U-turn right in the middle of the road and there happened to be a police officer who was paying attention at the station and you end up taking my penalty. Is that fair? No, but that's what Jesus did willingly. Jesus went to the cross. He took your sin on himself. He took your guilt. He took your punishment. And so since sin is us substituting ourselves in the place of God, at the cross, God substitutes himself for us. That God went where we deserved to be. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his son, God became man and lived a perfect life, went to the cross, which was the cruelest form of Roman execution. His hands and his feet were nailed to a beam of wood, blood poured out as a payment for you and I that every ounce of punishment and wrath was put on him. So the question is, why would Jesus do this for you? Why would Jesus do this for me? Love. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Simply, Jesus loves you. God loves you. The B.D. Anyabwile says, the cross is the measure of the love of God. When we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God's love goes in order to win us back to himself. Sin could only be dealt with through love, through an act of sacrificial substitutionary love. It's love that led Jesus to the cross. It's love that led Jesus to purchase your forgiveness. And this is why the cross is the only way because forgiveness has to occur for us to be able to draw into God. Forgiveness has to occur because there's a relationship that has been broken. So imagine you have a friend who's betrayed you just in the worst betrayal possible. And that friend never says they're sorry. That friend never makes the relationship right. Can you just go, go back to being buddies? Are you guys just gonna hang out and barbecue in the backyard and go for coffee and play golf or 
play basketball or whatever you do together. Is that, is that gonna happen? No, what's broken in the relationship has to be addressed. Our sin against a holy God is infinitely more. And it took the very son of God going to the cross to pay for our sins. But not just his death. We're not just gonna focus on his death today. Jesus was buried and he rose again. So why does the burial matter? The burial matters because Jesus was actually dead. Jesus actually went into the, into the ground, into the tomb, showing the penalty of sin is death. A real body, a real death, a real resurrection. And the resurrection is the proof that the cross worked. The resurrection is proof that the debt was really paid, that death was really defeated. This shows how powerful a God we have to raise the dead. And this is a promise to you and I that if we trust Christ, that new life can be ours. We can have new life with him. Resurrection is like a receipt. If you've ever gone into a store and you've made a big purchase, as you're walking out the, out the door, they wanna see that receipt, right? So if you've got a 75 inch TV and you're just wheeling it toward the front door, they're not just gonna say, hey, have a good day. They want to see that receipt, It's the same thing. The resurrection is the receipt that our sins have been paid for and that we have new life in Christ. So for some, the resurrection is the problem. You hear the resurrection and you're like, I I just, I can't go that far. I mean, maybe I can believe Jesus died. Maybe I can believe that, that he rose again, but it's really difficult for me to believe in this resurrection. As we close, I wanna give three evidences for the resurrection, three reasons why we think the resurrection is true. The first is it fulfilled the promises of God. If you look at verses three, four, and five, you see the same phrase, in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures, this was God's plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God had the idea that he was going to pay for sins and have Jesus raised from the dead. This was not plan B. If you look at the very beginning of the Bible, right as man falls into sin, what does God promise? He promises that one would come and crush the head of the serpent and deal with sin forever. There are hundreds of prophecies throughout the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills. And as you look at the books of the Bible, we see that Jesus in the book of Genesis is the one who will bless all nations. That in the book of Exodus, Jesus is the one who will deliver his people out of captivity. That he is the one who fulfills the law and atones for all sins. That he comforts the brokenhearted. That he is the true prophet, priest, and king. That he is the hope of nations, the light of the world, the suffering servant of Isaiah, and the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And not just that, that he would raise from the dead. He said in the, he's quoting Jonah. If you've heard the story of Jonah in the well, Jonah goes into the belly of a well for three days. Jesus said he will fulfill a prophecy just like that, that he would come from the belly of death. Secondly, there are eyewitnesses. There were so many eyewitnesses. This is an event that happened in human history. Jesus came into our world. He lived a real life, a real death, and a real resurrection. People saw it. People saw this. In fact, if you look, and it doesn't say this in our story today, but it does in the book of Matthew, the first people to see Jesus alive were women. Now that's important because in that time, we don't believe this, but in that time, a woman's testimony in court was not valid. We believe it would be, but at that time it was not. So you would never write this story with women being the first people to see the risen Jesus. So they see it. And so what Jesus does is he takes those who were typically treated as lowly and brings them up to a place of honor. 
Verse five, we see Cephas or Peter and the 12 saw Jesus risen from the dead. These guys who couldn't figure out how to walk and chew gum at the same time, see the risen Jesus and go to the, to the rest of the world, spreading the hope of the gospel, going as far from Ethiopia to India, giving their lives away, believing that Jesus rose from the, de- from the dead. See, seeing Jesus leads to telling other people about Jesus. Verse six, we see that more than 500 people saw him at one time. And that's super important. So for example, right now, if I was here by myself and I said that I saw a lion break out of Franklin Park Zoo and run down Arbor Way, if I'm the only person who saw this, you're gonna fit me for a straitjacket, right? Because that sounds crazy. But if 500 people said that they saw a lion break out of Franklin Park Zoo, were tweeting about it, talking about this thing, saying we were all there together, you would probably believe it. Even though this seems unbelievable, over 500 people saw the risen Jesus. And what does Paul say? He says, most of whom are still alive. What's he saying? Go ask them. I can give you names. I can tell you people who've seen Jesus and have been changed forever. And that's the last evidence we have for the resurrection is changed lives. Our lives have been changed because we've seen Jesus. Peter's life went from denying Jesus to going and spending his life for Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, saw him, doubted, but yet he went and became one of the core foundations of the early church. But probably nobody more than Paul who's writing this letter. He says in verse eight, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. After Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, he appears to Paul in a vision. He appears to him. And this is so incredible because Paul is the least likely person you could ever imagine following Jesus, much less being an apostle. This guy had a record. He had a background. He had a reputation His life is radically changed by the gospel. And he's someone who received the free gift of God. And here he's saying, I am a vile, messed up sinner. I am a messed up person, but Jesus would even take someone like me. His life was radically changed. And it says here that he worked harder than all his brothers, not because he needed to earn anything, but because he was so grateful. And God chose to show his incredible mercy and his incredible grace through someone like Paul that he would go from a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the church. You know what people did when they first saw Paul? And they they saw this guy who had chased down their their, their husbands and killed them. They were like, wait a minute, that guy? Do you know what he did? They looked at him and could not believe the change that they had seen in him. I had a friend several years ago. We, we used to live in Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. We had moved there to start a church. And I had a friend contact me on Facebook and he said, hey, hey man, I want to talk to you. And I really didn't want to talk to this guy because this is a guy I almost fought daily in high school. He was kind of a little guy and he was like a chihuahua and he'd pick and he'd pick and he'd pick and he'd pick. And I did not want to talk to this guy. Just being honest, laying all my sin out for all of you to know. And I said, okay, fine, I'll, 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 I'll grab coffee with him. So we go sit down, we grab coffee. And I could tell something's different about him. And he, he says, man, first thing I wanna say is I'm so sorry. I was a complete jerk in high school. I was like, yes, you were. Um, and I said, he said, you know, he said, he said, but a couple of years ago, Jesus grabbed me and shook my life up. Jesus showed himself to me that I saw his, his death for me, that all the sins I'd ever committed had been paid for, that 
he was buried, he died the death I should have, and that he rose again, giving me new life. And my hope and my trust is in that, and my life can never be the same. Changed lives show that the gospel is true. That once we were blind, but now we see. That once we were lost, but now we're found. That once we were dead, but now we're alive. And so what the gospel shows us is that everybody needs this and that anybody can get in on it. My question for you today is, have you received Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection for you? By grace, receiving something that you don't deserve through faith, that you trust in it, you stand in it, you cling to it. And when you trust Jesus, when you place your faith in him, that forgiveness is applied to you. That payment is applied to your debt and your account, and you have a new relationship with God. And if you haven't done that this morning, here's how you do receive the gospel. First of all, you admit, I am a sinner. Secondly, you repent, which means to turn from your sins and to trust or believe that Jesus did this for you. This is the good news, that Christ is alive so we can be too. Let's pray. Let's pray.